they don't want to see an outbreak at any event, and we don't either. Tonight, a new rule in how it puts a damper on some drive-in movies and concerts. Plus, first weekend of phase two as businesses reopen, why some may still close. And... It was a very creative uh, solution to us having our own cabin fever. How a Langley farm has become a drive-through safari. And we're all invited. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. This is the first weekend of BC's Phase 2 reopening for many businesses. A glimmer of financial light at the end of a very dark two-month tunnel. But as Nadia Stewart reports, many still may not make it out of the woods. It's a lineup that looks a lot worse than it actually is. We are definitely appreciating patience. The West End Farmers Market opened for business during the first weekend of Phase 2 restrictions. Organizers say the support for local farmers and businesses cannot be understated. With the restaurant closures, they're not seeing uh, the same uh, sales from those avenues, and so it's really important for, for small farms to be able to stay afloat by selling at farmers markets. For many restaurants, the expediting of patio approvals is what could help keep them afloat. They're operating at 50% capacity. It's about how guests feel when they're in here. Walking around Vancouver and seeing restaurants that have already been open and had their patios open, uh, Vancouver diners are looking forward to getting back to it. But even with the eased restrictions, many restaurants still are not open. Some are working on implementing the new protocols, while others are struggling with capacity limitations. I think if a restaurant looks at, you know, the ability to have takeout orders, have dine-in food and have patio expansion, they've got a much better chance to survive. But for many businesses, including personal services, they need to get people in the door, even if it's still only a trickle. The traffic has been deliberately slow. Many salons are operating between 50 and 75 percent capacity. There's extra cleaning time that has to happen. There's all the physical distancing that's required. So there's a lot of need for actually to just slow down, as Dr. Bonnie Henry suggests. I'm, I think things are going mostly really well. You know, it's been a bit of a transition. I went and got my hair done, and we wore masks, and we went through the whole process. And, you know, it takes a little bit of adjusting. It's why patience is what businesses are asking for now. It's, it's an evolving process. It's something that we're new to. For people who have dined here before, it's, it's going to feel a little different. So get used to that feeling because it's going to feel that way for a little while. Nadia Stewart, Global News. Vancouver's Falls Creek Ferries and Aquabus have resumed service after pausing in March due to the pandemic. Both companies are offering limited ferry service and have reduced the number of passengers on each vessel. Falls Creek Ferry is asking customers to wear a mask while on board. Aquabus is providing customers with hand sanitizer and requires social distancing. We feel comfortable. Um, you know, we, we've set up uh, uh, markings on the dock for people to line up uh, in case of a lineup and we've got markings on the seat and we've reduced our passenger count down to six people by 80 percent. Cross-border couples are also taking advantage of another relaxation of the rules to finally meet each other in person. Sam Balanzano finally met up with her American boyfriend Ian Forster today at Peace Arch Park. Provincial parks were reopened to day use on May 14th, allowing couples who live on either side of the U.S.-Canada border to meet up there. She hasn't seen her partner in person since the beginning of March. It feels like our first date. 
that, I just wanted to say that. It feels like our first date. We haven't seen each other in so long, so it feels like uh, beginning again. We were like nervous to <laughs> see each Aww. other again. <laughs> yeah, we have a lot of FaceTime dates, um, a lot of texting, phone calls. Um, but a while he was actually working night shift for Amazon, yeah. so we were on completely different schedules, and that was really difficult, too. <laughs> With movie theaters closed indefinitely, drive-in events were beginning to make their way back to the future. That is until yesterday. That's when the province's top doctor amended her mass gatherings ban, saying the order against meetings of 50 people or more includes vehicles. As Kristen Robinson reports, that adds further restrictions on any drive-in and concert series this summer. It's a blast from the past. Along with popcorn and cult classics. The venues that used to own the night are back. We need this to get out. From Arizona to Langley, drive-ins offering a socially distanced and sanitized movie experience. Organizers of Rooftop Rock in Prince George thought a drive-in concert would be the perfect way to boost spirits and raise money for charity. Safety was at the forefront of every decision and every planning step that we've taken. Designed around COVID-19, what they didn't measure in, the province changing the rules on mass gatherings to include no more than 50 vehicles at outdoor drive-in events. It came in at a time where it was going to be extremely difficult to consult with government to really understand what they mean by that order. Kyle Sampson now packing up Saturday's event as others determine how to drive similar ones forward. At first, obviously, we, we were sort of shocked. Howard Blank is working with charities to bring drive-in movies to the PE and other sites. He's now scaling back the special events originally planned for up to 500 vehicles. They don't want to see an outbreak at any event, and we don't either. And I think it gives us a chance to retool, reset, refocus, and, and hopefully uh, the 50 car might work. A recent drive-in rave in Germany, evidence of how much some of us are craving entertainment. But BC's top doctor warns large gatherings, including drive-in events, can spread COVID-19. So we're going to go ahead with this. It's just a matter of when we're going to go ahead with this. We're going to find a way. Rooftop rock and the pop-up drive-in screen plans now being overhauled to meet health orders. Event promoters say it's the nostalgia we need during a pandemic. Kristen Robinson, Global News. And these are the latest COVID-19 numbers for our province. There are just 10 new cases for a total of 2,517 in B.C. Two more people sadly have died, this time in the Fraser Health region, bringing our death toll to 157 people. 39 people are currently in hospital. Eight of them are in intensive care. And an outbreak has been confirmed at another Metro Vancouver food processing plant. The Fraser Health Authority says five employees at Nature's Touch facility in Abbotsford have tested positive for COVID-19. All close contacts are being monitored and the company has voluntarily closed the plant until Monday. Outbreaks have also been confirmed at chicken processing plants and a produce plant in the Lower Mainland. Legislative Bureau Chief Keith Baldry joins us now. Keith, Dr. Henry also spoke further today about contact tracing here in B.C. 
Yes, this is the next big push from her team of public health officials. Contact tracing is when someone tests positive and then a team of experts tries to figure out wherever they, uh, whoever they got in contact with uh, in the 14 days leading up to the positive date. So, and, we're, and Bonnie Henry's put together, she announced today, a team of hundreds of people, uh, doctors, nurses, uh, all sorts of, of people do, who are experts in asking questions and trying to find out where this virus is spreading and who's getting it. Interesting, yesterday, Justin Trudeau, the prime minister, offered provinces some help in, in these efforts as this is going to be the next big push over the summer. And interesting today, Dr. Bonnie Henry doesn't offer a lot of criticism, but she did today implicitly that the federal government, if the federal government wants to help, they should be doing the, te the testing and the isolating and contact tracing at the border, which they're responsible for, instead of the many, many B.C. civil servants who have had to fill in when the feds aren't doing it. Here's the doctor. So all of the daily follow-up that we're doing with cases and with contacts is uh, currently being done by our public health teams in the province, and we have significantly increased the numbers of people, and we'll be doing more of that uh, in the coming days and weeks. Um, I think one of the areas that I would strongly <laughs> encourage the federal government to use that type of important resource is in monitoring of people who come across our international borders. So again, an example, some rare criticism from Dr. Henry at an, another level of government. Strong message there to Ottawa that they should resume the responsibilities that they have uh, at the border. We'll see if that resonates uh, with the Prime Minister's office in the days ahead. All Colin? right. Thanks so much, Keith. An Okanagan campground designated for seasonal workers has enhanced its COVID-19 safety protocols aimed at keeping workers safe and healthy for the upcoming fruit picking season. Darian Matassafung has more. As more seasonal workers flock to the Okanagan to work on farms and orchards, the provincial government has given more support to the regional district of Okanagan, Similkameen. The RDOS has received a commitment of $60,000 from the provincial government to help coordinate COVID-19 protocols at the Loose Bay Campground. The Loose Bay Campground near Oliver is a designated campground for seasonal domestic workers. And that funding will go a long way to help cover the cost associated with the RDOS COVID coordinator as well as some of the educational materials that we're using as well. The RDOS COVID coordinator is stationed at the entrance of the campground and will screen campers as they enter the site. So and practice social distancing, definitely. Ron Force of the BC Fruit Growers Association runs the COVID-19 screening yes. protocols on Saturdays, giving the regular COVID coordinator a day off. He says they asked the campers five questions. Do you have a cough? Do you have any fever? Do you have any problems, respir respiratory problems, like, you know, loss of breath? Do you have any throat? If your throat hurts, if you're very tired, and if you if, if you're <clears throat> regurgitate, those are the five questions that will be asked. Every camper that comes to Loose Bay must answer the questionnaire. They're asking to have no more than five people together. But what happens if someone fails a screening question? If anyone is actually showing any symptoms of COVID-19, that immediate steps are taken to isolate them from the campground. The site is still open to tourists, but the RDOS says around 85% of the campers will be domestic seasonal workers. Darian Matassafung, Global News, near Oliver. Residents in Cache Creek living close to the Bonaparte River are nervously watching the fast-moving floodwaters. 
A local state of emergency is in effect now that the river has risen to dangerous levels due to the snowmelt and earlier heavy rain. People living in some 175 properties are under an evacuation alert. The surging water is threatening a local hotel and trailer park. And a local business has lost some of its parking lot due to the flooding. A sewer line north of the town has also been inundated. The flooding has also impacted a number of farms in the Cache Creek area. We did the sandbags in April before the flood started because we knew it was going to be a bad flood this year because we've lived here for so long that we knew it was going to be a bad flood this year because of the snowpack. Even everything that's happened with COVID, we've already had to cut our, our staff down and now um, the local state of emergency in the area, we've definitely had to cut shifts now. So usually by this time of year, we're buzzing and we're barely seeing any traffic at this point. It's a worrying time for us, you know, because we never know if one day to the next if our homes are going to be here. And unfortunately, the government seems more interested in the fish than the people that live along the river. So it's, it's really frustrating. They've told us that uh, the water should be receding, going down in the river, but what could change that is a rainfall event. So we do have rain in the forecast, but so far it's looking pretty good. A NAFTA panel has dealt a blow to BC's softwood lumber industry. The panel is backing the U.S. International Trade Commission's December decision that our imports materially injured American producers and workers. They claim that the Canadian government is providing our lumber industry massive subsidies and dumping those products in the U.S. market. The B.C. Lumber Council says it's disappointed by the decision but remains convinced that the determination is flawed and without merit. Canada is still awaiting World Trade Organization and NAFTA challenges to the U.S. Department of Commerce's countervailing duty and anti-duty determinations that have yet to be resolved. A very close call on Friday during a building demolition in Victoria. Have a look at this. It was captured on camera as crews were tearing down a former corner grocery store in Esquimalt. As heavy equipment pulled down the building at Esquimalt Road and Head Street, a pedestrian walks by just as the side facing the street suddenly collapsed on outward. Fortunately, he managed to run out of the way. Construction workers were controlling traffic at the scene, but the man was allowed to walk by. Ventilators are a key piece of hospital equipment helping people with severe cases of COVID-19, but they're of no use without the highly trained staff who operate them. That's one reason why a class of respiratory therapists graduated early this spring from a BC university. Sarah McDonald has that story. When Justine Shaw first enrolled in the province's only respiratory therapy program, she was prepared for a hands-on experience in the workforce. What she didn't bargain for was being needed so urgently and so quickly. At first, I was a little bit nervous just because there were so many unknowns with COVID, um, with the disease itself and just how it was going to progress and how we were going to tackle it um, in hospital, especially already now having my education cut short. Um, but it ended up being fine and I was glad to be able to get out there and help where, it was, where I was needed. Shaw and her nearly six dozen classmates found themselves forced to graduate weeks earlier than initially planned, with many diving headfirst into a very real public health crisis. 
trains you operate the life-saving machines so crucial to survival for the province's most critically ill COVID-19 patients by proud instructors who were left with a difficult decision as the pandemic hit. It was a, uh, you know, mixed feelings when you're graduating students early. Uh, we were looking at what was happening in China and what was happening in Italy, and we we're watching healthcare systems become overwhelmed. So it was decided the students already on track to graduate would be fast-tracked into the workforce. That was two months ago. And now? Every day is different. Um, Some days more challenging than others. uh, But I have an awesome team that I'm working with. Shaw is one of countless healthcare workers on the front lines, directly helping with the pandemic response at the province's largest hospital, turning her training towards helping others just a bit sooner than expected. Sarah McDonald, Global News. Canadian actor Michael J. Fox is sharing his appreciation for healthcare workers in this country. Big shout out to the healthcare workers in Alberta and beyond. You've been incredible. This this moment called for for an answer and a response and and an action and you provided it. We are so grateful. In a post shared by Alberta Health Services, the Edmonton-born actor praised hospital workers everywhere for all they've been facing during the pandemic. Fox, of course, was raised in Burnaby, B.C., and now lives in New York City, which he described as a nightmare during the pandemic. He joins a number of Canadian actors sharing their thanks, including B.C.'s own Ryan Reynolds. The East Kootenai SBCA is caring for a cat and five kittens found abandoned at a local dump. The mother cat and her five-week-old kittens were discovered by a good Samaritan after the SBCA says they were left to starve in a closed cardboard box at a dump near Cranbrook. The feline family was dehydrated and hungry, but is now recovering in a foster home. The SPCA is urging people to spay and neuter their cats as kitten season begins. Last year, they rescued more than 5,000 dumped and surrendered kittens. Another reminder of the breathtaking beauty of this province. Harbour Patrol Officer Bob Grant took these pictures yesterday of a humpback whale just east of the Lionsgate Bridge. According to researchers, humpbacks follow a regular migration route, spending the winter in southern, warmer waters for calving before heading up north to our cooler waters for feeding in the summer months. Anyone who spots a whale in local waters is encouraged to report it using the OceanWise Whale Report app to help conserve conservation research. Rather, Residents at a senior's community in North Vancouver getting all shook up this afternoon with a special performance by the king. Oh yeah, an Elvis Presley tribute artist treated fans to a show today at Amica Edgemont Village. The concert is part of the National Smiles for Seniors campaign launched by the company, aiming to help fight loneliness and isolation during this challenging time. Many of the residents and staff were even dancing on the balconies to ensure safe social distancing. In Nova Scotia, about a thousand people have been forced to leave their homes as crews battle an out-of-control forest fire. Several crews have been working to contain the fire since it ignited early this afternoon. It has burned at least 40 hectares so far. At least three aircraft have been brought in to help douse the flames. Fire officials say dry, windy conditions aren't helping in the fight. Investigators are trying to determine the cause of a massive warehouse fire in San Francisco early this morning. It broke out at Pier 45 and nearly destroyed the famed Fisherman's Wharf. 
The first firefighters arrived just after 4 a.m. San Francisco time for what became an enormous four-alarm blaze. Engulfing a quarter of Pier 45 in the famous Fisherman's Wharf area of the city, over 150 firefighters were called to the scene. The flames so intense, the first truck on the scene was scorched and had to be taken out of service. Luckily, only one firefighter was injured. The fire could be seen for miles. A large plume of smoke covered much of the San Francisco Bay, stretching from Sausalito to Oakland. It was just covered with black smoke. You can't even see the first responders in the fire. I mean, I don't know how they managed to do what they did, but once again, impressive. Not as lucky were the charter fishing and commercial fishing companies headquartered in the burned building. The warehouse contained a large fish processing operation for the Northern California crab fleet. And with the commercial fishing season ruined by the coronavirus, their nets and pots were destroyed by the flames here. Unfortunately, this building is a complete loss. Um, all four corners have, have collapsed inward. The entire inventory that was inside this building is for the most part burnt and destroyed. This area of San Francisco is steeped in history. A fire on a San Francisco pier after the earthquake of 1906 wiped out much of the city at a time when buildings were largely built of wood. Thanks to modern building codes and the quick action of over 100 firefighters, however, this enormous fire didn't spread. Crews have retrieved the black box from the plane that crashed in Pakistan, and today the first funerals were held for some of the victims. Two passengers survived. At least 97 people were killed. The pilot told air traffic control he was having engine trouble just before issuing a mayday call. One survivor says the flight proceeded normally until its descent when there was a sudden jolt. It isn't allowed in B.C. just yet, but this could be the pandemic version of live music. Hundreds of South Koreans took in a performance of the musical 42nd Street from their cars. Gate attendants wore masks and screened people entering the grounds for fever as they arrived. South Korea, which has lost 266 people to COVID-19, has been easing social distancing restrictions. It recently reopened schools and started sports seasons without spectators, but has had some recent outbreaks. In health news tonight, an experimental vaccine for coronavirus is moving into the next phase of testing in Britain. Researchers say they hope to immunize more than 10,000 people, including children and the elderly, to determine if the shots work. A similar vaccine from China has been found safe and capable of inducing an immune response during initial testing, according to a study in The Lancet. Another Lancet study finds no evidence that chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine benefit COVID-19 patients, though they continue to be studied. The CDC has updated its COVID-19 transmission guidelines saying coronavirus does not spread easily on surfaces. The agency also estimates 35% of all people with COVID-19 are asymptomatic, but are 100% as infectious as those with symptoms. Researchers in Alberta are looking into the emotional well-being of healthcare professionals on the front lines of the pandemic. The research will look at personal sources of support, including supports within hospitals as well as other methods of coping. They help to find better ways to help hospital-based physicians, nurses, and other medical personnel during the crisis. But first, have a look at this. For the first time in decades, people in Nepal can see the world's tallest mountain. The peak of Mount Everest is now visible from Mandu Valley, some 200 kilometers away. It's usually hidden by a haze of pollution, but the COVID lockdown has cut emissions, resulting in cleaner, clearer 
air. Isn't that amazing, Yvonne? Spectacular. Almost as pretty as the views you get around here. Yes. Today, uh, a few spots maybe across the province. Uh, we had a fair bit of cloud cover. It was a wet start out there this morning. We've got a similar weather picture for tomorrow, but it's really the long range. A nice bright spot and temperatures will start to bump up once again. And I'll have more on that coming up in just a moment. Here's a shot overlooking English Bay. Temperatures are sitting at 16 degrees. A southerly wind at 15 kilometers per hour. A beautiful shot that was captured today in Comox, so thank you so much, Carmen. Some of the cloud cover and a heart there just out on the dock. We bumped up to 17 as the high, and that's where we should be for this time of the year. Low 20s for a few spots in the interior, the northeastern corners with the peace bumping up to 17, and Prince Rupert climbing up to 11 degrees. This is the frontal system that we've been keeping a close eye on that is still bringing some instability and is going to bring some moisture. Most areas across the south coast tomorrow, it's cloud cover, rainfall along the northern and western edge of the island, and then it is going to push in across Metro Vancouver, but it'll be late tomorrow and the wettest day so far as we get in towards our Monday. Tomorrow morning, so there is some rainfall across the island. Most areas, it's a chance of showers across Metro Vancouver. Starts to pick up once again. Monday, that'll be the blip in the forecast and the wettest so far. Overnight, we're dipping down to 12 degrees. Tomorrow morning, mainly cloudy by the afternoon. Similar like today, we bumped up to 17 degrees. It's the long-range forecast. As we get past Monday, it'll be dry on Tuesday, and then a ridge is going to start to build in across the province. We'll see temperatures bumping up most areas into the low 20s, and then the mid and upper 20s for the interior. So it is going to warm up once again. A quick glance at what it looks like on the temperature trend. So into the low 20s for most areas. The interior of taking Kelowna as an example, even getting up to 28 degrees. So warm weather is in store as we get in towards midweek onwards. The northern half of the province, wet and windy for tomorrow, it really does start to pick up by the afternoon. Prince Rupert will bump up to 11 as the high. The northeastern corners of the province still a bright spot, dry with a partly cloudy sky. Much of the central interior tomorrow, it's cloud cover, still a chance of showers. Temperatures will bump up to 16 degrees. And then just towards the south of it, the tops in Okanagan tomorrow, it's quite pleasant. It'll be a mix of sun and cloud, dry conditions, temperatures into the low 20s for most areas. Cooler for Whistler tomorrow, 13 as the high. Hanging on to a slight chance of showers. It'll be very similar for areas near Hope. And then the wettest weather along the island starts to move in. The northern and central half and a few spots along the Sunshine Coast. Southern and eastern tip of Vancouver Island. A slight chance for some showers. It really does start to pick up. And that'll be late towards tomorrow evening. Five-day forecast. So very similar to what we're seeing today. Mainly cloudy. A slight chance to see a shower. And then the bulk of the moisture and rainfall. Blip in the forecast, Colleen, will be on Monday. And then it really does start to improve. Looking ahead mm. by Wednesday, it's quite pleasant and temperatures are going to start to warm up as well. Looking nice. Thanks so much, Yvonne. A newly discovered white grizzly bear near Banff now has a name thanks to local residents. Nakoda means ally or friend in the native language of the three indigenous tribes in the area. Parks Canada says Nakoda is a three-year-old and has a brown sibling. The two tend to spend their time between Banff and Yoho National Parks. Nakoda's unique white color is believed to be caused by a, a natural color phase variation, which Parks Canada says has never been seen seen in the Rocky Mountains. It's certainly the only one I'm aware of that's been seen uh, in uh, our Rocky Mountain National Park. Uh, but throughout Grizzly Bear Range, uh, grizzlies are known to vary in color from very dark to almost black. Uh, your more typical color is a brown or blonde, but occasionally you do see really light bears like this that look almost white. Wow. 
Nakoda joins the ranks of Split Lip and the Boss as the most recognized bears in Banff National Park. And a University of Alberta student has designed a virtual reality game that can help people overcome their fear of spiders by playing with them. The game works much like exposure therapy by triggering reactions to common fears like spiders. Players go through a series of interactions on different levels, which become more complex the higher you go. Anna Chuck-Raverty submitted the idea as part of her master's thesis in visual communication design. She worked with a number of psychologists on the idea and says it has a number of clinical applications. You are let the patient gradually expose themselves to um, spiders. So the first level starts with like this really cute animated spider. And as you level up, as you manage your anxiety, um, the spider becomes more realistic. Till the point you are able to, you know, capture the spider easily, you can release them instead of killing them. Well, that's a good idea. I think most of us are afraid of spiders, right? Yeah, and I don't know if I want to be petting or touching any of them, but if it's virtually, okay, I think Virtual. we can get, get used to it, but uh, I don't want to pet spider anytime soon. I like my, to keep my physical distance yes. from spiders. Yes, yes, yes. You, Barry? I think they're cute. <laughs> my, my wife could use that, my whole family. They're all frightened of spiders. Arachnophobes. But I love them. What would, what would, what would uh, all the bugs, how many bugs we'd have without all the spiders? So true. True. They're our friends. The itsy-bitsy spiders, and even the big ones. I'm just going to wait for you to tell us what's coming up in sports. You're up there. Oh, it's sorry. all I, you. I, I thought maybe uh, the power went out. Or <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. The spider thing just threw me for a loop. Uh, we're going to have uh, some more real live highlights this week. German Bundesliga continues. And Alfonso Davies, of course, the former white cap, uh, is really, really turning into a superstar over there in Germany. Goal and an assist today. So we'll have highlights of that coming up. No Ooh. spiders. A profanity-laced video of Brazil's president is causing new controversy tonight. In it, Jair Bolsonaro expresses frustration at his inability to get information from police. He also vows to change cabinet ministers if needed to protect his family. The Supreme Court ordered the footage be released as part of an investigation into allegations the president was trying to interfere in the federal police for personal gain. Bolsonaro isn't taking the COVID-19 crisis seriously, calling it a little flu. But the World Health Organization disagrees and says South America is a new epidemic is a new epicenter, rather, of the pandemic. From the cities to the rainforest, Brazil now has the fastest COVID-19 infection growth rate in the world. Coronavirus is now killing in some of the most remote places on Earth. Deep in Brazil's Amazon jungle, this tribe hoped isolation would keep them safe. It didn't. From jungle to inner city, Brazil is buckling. The transmission rate now higher here than anywhere. Brazil has more than a third of a million cases, 20,000 new cases a day. More than 21,000 people have died, around 1,000 now every day. Brazil has had more deaths in the last five days than China has reported in its entire epidemic. In Rio de Janeiro this afternoon, another victim. But there's so little testing, doctors believe the true number of cases could be 15 times higher than the official figure. I think it's possible. I think it's possible. 15 times higher? Yes, because many people, they are not symptomatic. 
Brazil, now the new global hotspot. South America has become a new epicenter for the disease, but certainly the most affected is uh, Brazil at this point. At least 30 million people in Brazil live in slums, where social distancing and hand-washing aren't common, but coronavirus is. A field hospital has been built in the middle of this slum, where dozens have died. Another sits next to Brazil's biggest soccer stadium in Rio. And Rio's famous Copacabana Beach, well, you've never seen it like this. Empty by order. Tens of thousands had crowded here, so authorities closed it and police enforced the exclusion zone. The eyes of the world now on Brazil for all the wrong reasons. Bill Neely, NBC News, Rio de Janeiro. He's here with a look at sports now, and you're kicking things off with soccer. Mm -hmm. Like what I did there? Yes, yes, that was really good. That's very inventive. (laughs) (laughs) I'll I'll go now. She's hot tonight. All right. Uh, Alfonso Davies had started to get some attention early this season in Europe, especially after a fantastic game in the Champions League. But now... With the German Bundesliga, literally the only league in the world currently playing, all eyes are on Davies, and he's not had any stage fright. He just keeps getting better and better, and today the former Whitecap had a goal and an assist in another Bayern Munich victory. Davies starting again at left back, but he is always coming forward, joining the attack with that great speed. 17th minute, Bayern strike first. Thomas Muller down the left side to Leon Goretzka. Takes it on the bounce, knocks in the half volley. Great skill there. 1-0 Bayern. Then before the half is out, Davies goes to work. He's got speed, but also very good on-field vision and passing skills. Perfect service here for Muller, who finishes easily. 2-0 at the half. Just a minute into the second half, Robert Lewandowski heads in a beauty as 27th of the Bundesliga campaign, and it is 3-0 Bayern Munich. Eintracht Frankfurt, the opposition, made it interesting with a couple of quick ones, but then Alfonso Davies restores the two-goal margin. Here's his speed on the run, such good control, lost it here, but got it back thanks to a turnover and just keeps on going and fires in his second goal of the season. He's only 19, he won't turn 20 until November, but really establishing himself as a key player for Bayern Munich. 5-2 the final as Bayern keep their four-point lead atop the Bundesliga standings. Early in the day, uh, Wolfsburg hosting second-place Borussia Dortmund. Dortmund's Rafael Guerrero had a pair of goals in last week's uh, opening restart. Back at it again today, scoring there to give Dortmund a 1-0 lead. It remained that way until the uh, second half, 78th minute. Ashraf Hakimi, tight angle, but he will slot it in. 2-0 the final as Dortmund keeps pace with Bayern Munich. They continue to trail by four points. And third place Borussia Mönchengladbach hosting fourth place Leverkusen. Visitors score first. Six minutes in. Great pass to Kai Havertz who converts. 1-0 Leverkusen. Some great skill in the German league. Second half now 2-1 Leverkusen. And they put it away off the free kick. Sven Bender. You'd figure he'd be delivering the bending free kick, but he does uh, on the business end here with the header. Great job there. 3-1 Leverkusen win as they jump, uh, jump past Gladbach Leverkusen into third, and they are eight points out of first. 
Well, good news. Tennis is making its way back, and it'll happen one month from today. Canada's Bianca Andreescu is one of 16 players invited to play in the inaugural Credit One Bank Invitational June 23rd in Charleston, South Carolina. It is not an official WTA Tour event. Andreescu hasn't been on the court since suffering a knee injury at the WTA Finals in China back in October. So it'll be a full eight months between matches for the defending U.S. Open champ. Andrescu turns 20 on June 16th. The WTA Tour hopes to begin tournament play in July. Andrescu is currently ranked number six in the world. Earlier in the week, CFL Commissioner Randy Ambrosi held a community town hall for CFL fans. The commissioner spoke at length about what this season will look like. Now, the best case scenario, a shortened regular season starting around Labor Day and the Grey Cup being pushed into December. But without fans, there is a possibility there will be no season at all, which is jarring news for all, including new Lions head coach Rick Campbell. I think we're going through the feelings that most people are going through right now where you're, you know, you're waiting on the news and seeing what happens. And um, I like to think of myself as an optimist, but also at the same time when that was announced, I wasn't surprised just by hearing what's going on and, and all that. So um, we'll kind of take it week by week and uh, month by month now and, uh, and see what happens. I'm a CFL lifer, so I've been around the CFL literally my whole life. So um, um, obviously I, I love this league and... Uh, I know a lot of other people do too. I know that um, the powers that be, everything I've heard is everyone's doing whatever they can to, to solve issues and, and fix things, but it's, it's tough. I mean, you can ask uh, many people in several businesses how tough it is um, when you kind of, you get thrown for a loop when you, you know, you didn't see this thing coming and people weren't, you know, prepared for something like this. So, um, definitely causes some uneasiness um, at the same time I find comfort in the CFL has been around a long time there's a lot of people that uh, care a lot about it and so um, whenever we get the chance to play again we'll just uh, we'll make sure we're ready to go and uh, and hope for the best yeah, it's tough on all those players wondering if uh, there's going to be a season at all for them so oh. maybe perhaps we'll find out in the next month or not if there will be CFL football yeah. in 2020 tough for the fans mm-hmm. too yeah for Boy. everybody it is time for our nightly thanks to our BC Healthcare heroes. Yvonne, who is it tonight? Tonight we are honoring Dr. Nicholas Sparrow. Dr. Nicholas Sparrow is an emergency physician at Kootenay Lake Hospital in Nelson. He is a key member of the frontline emergency service staff tasked to battle the COVID-19 pandemic. In addition to his full-time duties as an ER physician, Dr. Sparrow also volunteers his expertise and time as the only emergency physician in the region. Wow. He founded the Kootenay Emergency Response Physician Association, SERPA, a Canadian-registered charity in 2016 with the objective of saving lives and helping the most critically ill and injured patients in the community and supporting emergency services and providing on-scene physician aid. Thank you, Dr. Sparrow, for, your, for battling COVID-19 on two fronts, in the ER and as a volunteer in the community. And also, he raises six children with oh, his wife, wow. Krista. He is a busy man, so thank you for your time. Wow. If you have a healthcare hero to nominate, email us a few photos to BC Healthcare.